Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Freedom Talks. This is Brady, and today I'm here with Diane Ping again. And last time Diane was on, she talked about nutrition, um, and that's going to play a little bit of a key role in what we're talking about today, but we really want to tackle osteoporosis today. So Diane's one of our specialists here at Freedom, um, and actually I would say she probably is the the longest tenured osteoporosis PT that we have here at the clinic, or at least the one that deals with it most, correct? Yes. Um, you doing okay today? Yeah, very well. How are you? <laughs> Good. Um, so I guess if we're jumping right into it, um, I think a lot of people kind of have a understanding of what osteoporosis is, but I guess, could you define it for us? Osteoporosis is a loss of bone density or bone mass, essentially, which increases the risk and likelihood of fracture. Okay. So it's pretty, pretty simple on the surface as to what it is. Right. Um, so, you know, I kind of looked through your presentations and some of the, the, things that you gave me. Um, and I guess a good place to start would be, so there's five types of osteoporosis. Um, could you go through, I guess, what the differences between those are? Right. Um, there's a, um, a senile, um, type of osteoporosis. And that is something that it's, um, as we, as we get to about 30 years of age, our, we start to lose our bone density. And, and what senile is, is basically, it usually happens over the age of 75 or so. And it's basically just an increase in that rate of loss. So that's just something that's um, kind of a, a gentle sort of change. Um, the, the primary is the one that is associated with um, postmenopausal. And that affects uh, more of trabecular bone, which is the inner portions of the bone, and the senile is more, um, actually affects both the cortical, which is the outside layer of the bone, and then the inside webbing or the, or the trabecular bone. So quick, quickly before we go on, can you just kind of give us um, a quick anatomy of bone structure? Um, the inside, you can think of it as like a lattice work, or maybe like the inside of a sponge. Okay. If you cut through a sponge, you can see little holes and and cross hatches and, and just um, cross supports, if you think about it that way. And that leads to, it's a matrix, essentially, that gives support to the bone. It also allows the bone to be flexible, okay? Um, and then the outer portion of the bone is a solid, more of a solid skin, um, you know, like you think of it almost like tooth enamel or something like that. And that has actually an outer layer that's covered in nerves, which is why it so hurts so much when we break bones, right? Those nerves are very sensitive. And within the trabecular, um, the inside portion and the outside portion, there are blood vessels. People don't always consider that or think about that. So when you damage your bone, you bleed. And, uh, and that those blood vessels are there to bring nourishment to the bone, to bring mineral, oxygen. Those bone cells need everything that a regular cell would need. So um, that is essentially the two different types of bone that, that we talk about with the osteoporosis and the changes that happen. Um, 
The next one is a, uh, a secondary type of osteoporosis, and that is um, mostly associated with medical conditions um, or um, medications, okay? Um, um, st things like steroid use or um, immunosuppressive drugs, all of those, um, and, and there's a long list of, of drugs that can impact um, bone density. Then there's a juvenile. Um, even children can have um, osteoporosis. It's really, I think, a nutritional, um, I think that plays a big card in it, actually. Um, but and, and they're still growing and they're still developing their bone density for their lifetime. So if there's a change that occurs, then they, they can grow out of it, essentially. And um, they don't have to have it their whole lives, and you hope that they don't. Um, idiopathic, then, is just, um, it's kind of, a, kind of quirky. People don't exactly know why it develops, but it can. And it usually lasts for two to four years or something. So that's more rare. And um, so... So then I guess and, uh, the next place to go is kind of how would you find out if you have one of these or um, kind of what are some warning signs? And then, you know, if you feel like you have warning signs or your doctor or your physical therapist says, hey, I think you need to check this out, what are the diagnostic tools that they're using? There's a significant amount of heredity involved in this. So sometimes if you have it in your family, that's just something to consider. I need to go to my doctor. I'm interested in getting a bone density test. Um, what can happen is if someone has an x-ray, um, if osteoporosis is bad enough, it can be seen on an x-ray. Okay. So it could be spotted that way, just in, you know, in, uh, in the course of other medical care. Um, but you could go in and at a, a particular age, we just might be concerned and say, I'd like a baseline. Uh, maybe you have postural changes that are concerning to you. Um, another thought might be um, if you've had one or two fractures, that that should be a warning sign, and that would be a good reason to have a bone density bone density test. Okay. So I guess that the question, you know, one of the questions I had is how do you know you're at high risk, but that kind of answered it in terms of, you know, if you're at, you know, if your family's had it, you might want to get checked out. Yes. Um, and, you know, if you have broken bones or you break easily, yep. that's something to consider getting looked at and or asking your doctor about. Yes, definitely. And those are, um, that's just responding responsibly, sure. you know, to your situation. There are other things to look for, too. Um, if you're a woman. Okay. Uh, that, that gives you um, an increased risk. Um, if you're Caucasian, if you're um, uh, North Northern European descendants, you know that that group tends to have a higher higher propensity for having osteoporosis. So um, those are just some things to be aware of. Sometimes certain diets, um, alcohol use, um, smoking. There's other things that are there's a long list of risk factors that are involved. Yeah. Heredity, it's 60 to 70%. Okay. So that's like is heredity. <laughs> um, that that's a, so that's what they said anyway. So the other portions though, um, those are factors that cause uh, peak bone mass. Now the other two factors that cause that are exercise 
and nutrition. Okay. So you can look at it, you can look at the glass half empty and say, well, 70% says that I'm going to have it. So what's the, you know, why should I do anything? It's hopeless. It's not hopeless. If you look at the glass half full, you have a 40% influence on what happens to your bones. Yep. And that is significant. That's enough to prevent a fracture. You know, that yep. it's enough to tip the scale. So I look at that and I get very motivated when I see 40% um, impact on bone density at, at any age. That's, that's good news, if uh, you ask me. Especially considering the, you know, the other outcome is just accepting it and then having all of these problems, right? Right, right, and and yes, falling falling ill to fractures and and the sequela that can happen to uh, that and the care that follows it. It's um, yeah, you you have to be a motivated person though in order to make these changes. You know, sure, they're some of them are very very simple, and um, but you have to want to do that. But some, I guess, some reasons you know to be motivated are, I guess. Number one, your overall health and your, you know, how long you want to live, right? But there's also a huge cost involved, yes. not only to you, but uh, potentially to your family. Yes, indeed. In the so, 1990s, there, um, the, the president at the time um, had uh, made it a bone decade, is what it was <laughs> called, something along those lines, or bone fracture awareness uh, decade, because of the number of fractures that were occurring and it was crushing to the Medicare system. More and more elderly are in, in community and are active and the, the care that follows that, there's most, so many injuries that are sustained through fractures. So healthier bones is, is really no joke when it comes time to um, society, our families. Um, as a whole, yeah. So in the presentation that I had looked through uh, prior to this that you had written, um, the the three main components of treatment of osteoporosis um, you had stated were exercise, medicine, and nutrition. Um, and I think let's start with medication because I think um, there's not as much uh, that I think we can speak to or that you said you could speak to because Obviously, we would need uh, you would need to be in collaboration with your doctor who can prescribe you medication. Right, a pharmacist and a, and your doctor are going to have much more information than than I can offer. Um, some some women um, or some women uh, some patients are interested in taking that or taking it for a short time. Um, sometimes that's what will happen. Is if um, or sometimes people are not interested in taking it, and the doctor might convince them, please do take it for a year, and then and we'll see what the change is, and then you can go off for a year and see if you still are able to advance, you know, with, um, with whether, whatever else you're doing, um, whether it be exercise or nutrition. So usually, you know, to come to some kind of plan with, with um, the medication is, is helpful. Okay. Um, and you called this the triangle of treatment um, yeah. for this. And so the other two components um, are nutrition, which we know you know a lot about, um, and exercise, which we also know you know a lot about because you're a physical therapist. Um, do you care which one we start with? Uh, let's start with exercise. Okay. 
All right. <clears throat> so, I mean, as far as exercise goes, um, I know that there, I don't have the statistic on me, but I know that um, resistance training um, as a personal trainer um, is a great deterrent to osteoporosis. Um, I guess what what are you looking at first when it comes to exercise? And I guess it probably depends on the condition of the patient as well. Absolutely. Each person has their own individual history. And that's something that sometimes will influence their situation more or less, really depending. <clears throat> so it's important to take that into account. Um, I think it's important, too, that people understand what exercises are not for them. Spinal flexion exercises, sit-ups, um, forward bends, these are going to be things that are not necessarily safe. Okay, and now if someone's been doing yoga for 30 years, okay, and, and they're in good health and fitness, I probably won't tell them to stop, but I will tell them that yoga is not on the recommended list. Okay. Right, so they need to understand their own risk that they're taking, but I'm not going to tell them to stop if they've had excellent training and, and they're a wonderful yogi, okay? Mm -hmm. So, um, but for someone who is just starting, um, that would be that would not be the thing that I would tell them to do. There are other exercises and recreational things that I would ask people to avoid. Um, like I said, sit-ups. No more sit-ups, right? Spinal flexion with resistance is a poor choice. Uh, any kind of forward bending with rotation at the same time, again, that puts too much pressure on those individual spinal vertebrae and they can fail in those positions, especially if they're held for a long time, okay? So those things are risky. And, and I would also encourage people to um, posture, posture awareness and have lots and lots of that with even their everyday activities, but especially with exercise. Getting themselves in their neutral pelvis, into their neutral spine, tall, um, through the top of their head, kind of a Barishnikov kind of posture, if you want to imagine that. I'm, and that, but that kind of um, height, and to use that height when you're lifting your weights, use that height when you're on your walking program outside, or wherever you walk, your daily walking program. Those are the positions and those are the muscles that you want to be engaging while you're doing your exercises. So. Um, the exercises for osteoporosis basically are to promote extension. So these are muscles that are mostly on the backside of your body, mostly mm -hmm. glutes, spinal extensors, um, neck extensors. Um, and uh, that is something that uh, will help us um, give us energy getting out of a chair. It, it, it's kind of a, a fountain of youth in a way. Yeah. You know, I mean, it really does give a person... A, a taller, more youthful appearance, and and just ease your mobility typically, um, and and then as a physical therapist, taking into account again a person's history, that's very important as we work through this. So, I think you know I would say the majority of patients that we see, the majority of people just in general, even if you go to a commercial gym, and you look at the actual exercises they're doing, you'd probably be surprised at how many of those exercises are focused on the anterior chain 
rather than the posterior chain, which you're talking about. Right. And is actually lacking and probably, you know, whether you are at risk for osteoporosis or not, probably lacking in their exercise routine and would greatly benefit them because you see most people that come into physical therapy, it's like, you may be dealing with this, but you're most likely going to get prescribed posterior chain activity because you're lacking in that yes. posture, like you were saying. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you can, and people know that their bodies are changing. Even they'll say, well, my, my pants don't fit right. Look, look at what's happening to my pants. You know, yeah. my pants, they can see that either it's their muscles that have atrophied or it's their posture that has changed and they know that they're not quite the same. And yeah. then sometimes it is only very simple exercises that can make a nice change. Yeah. And I, I guess another observation I have from what you just said is that, um, you know, some people have very good body awareness in terms of when they're doing exercises, they can tell if they're in good or bad posture without having to look into a mirror or having anybody tell them. But then you also see the people that you demonstrate an exercise for them and they just get it completely wrong and they need a lot of cueing. And I think that's where, <laughs> where, you know, doing these exercises regularly with a physical therapist or at least someone who can watch you and cue you is important because, you know, oftentimes, even though you get an exercise, you might not be doing it correctly if you don't have great body awareness. Yes. And I'm, I'm, I'm giggling sort of, because that is, that is the truth. And, and you're not doomed to being a motor moron if, if you think you are one, you know, yeah. it doesn't have to be that way. I have seen people improve yeah. <laughs> people who absolutely have no concept of where their body is in space. It can change. And, and, uh, and it, it, in some cases it's been really remarkable. So, um, yes, have no fear. It, it can, um, it can improve, uh, bone density, something as simple as that, uh, that you don't see, you don't have any awareness of, but something that you might do every day, just like brushing your teeth, mm -hmm. right? Or changing your socks, something that you do so simple every day can make such a, a huge change as to say whether you might have a fracture or not. It's, yeah. it's really remarkable. Yeah. Um, so I guess the other part that I would like to touch on with exercise at least is that, you know, what if you have someone that's coming in and they're already kind of advancing, um, in the stages of osteoporosis? Um, I guess, what are you going to help them do? Um, or what are the steps that you're going to take first, um, in approaching them? One of the first steps is to lengthen the muscles that are tight. Find, trying to find what is holding a person in their current dysfunctional posture. And then focusing on those, giving those as the home exercise program. Just getting the person straighter and taller is a, is a big help. I, uh, doing strengthening exercises in positions that aren't easily achieved. Yeah. Okay. Um, that is, um, that's something that kind of takes a, a, a back seat to actually getting the motion. Sure. So achieving the motion. My example to this is if a person is standing and they come walking into the room, but they're not able to lay flat. Okay. Okay. That's a, let's say so that Let's say that they need a pillow under their knees. Yeah. Let's say they might need two pillows under their head. They're not able to lay flat on the table. 
Well, that person may be standing upright, but they're really not straight. Sure. Right? If they're not able to lay flat on their back, we know that there are restrictions in the anterior portion of their body um, because they're just holding them there, essentially. So addressing that first to improve actually their, their alignment, their spinal alignment, um, improving their hip motion possibly, those things are a great place to start. Okay. And, people, and people like those exercises. They, they like the stretching. They can feel it. They'll raise a hand and they'll say, I feel that in my stomach. You know, or, you know I mean, that's, that's how interconnected these types of stretches are. Yeah. So, um, but that is a great place to begin with. Uh, depending on you know the situation of a person, mm-hmm. um, it's not always um, it's not always a situation where someone walks in and you say, "Oh, well, you look great. You can have a weighted vest or go get some walking sticks to increase the resistance with your arms and yep. use those walking sticks during your daily walk." That's more advanced, maybe. Yep. Um, uh, to use a weighted vest like that or, or sticks, so those are just. Um, baby steps i think that's one of the biggest things that people don't realize about you know what pts do is like yes they're going to give you some exercises to do but uh, the big thing that they're going to do for you is they're going to unrestrict you to make sure you do movement patterns in the proper way and then adding on the things that you can do at home is is the next step but you have to address that first yeah so um all right let's move on to nutrition So um, if you're interested in uh, like a very in-depth nutrition talk, we did a podcast earlier that was awesome. And I saw that a lot of what you had said in that podcast earlier is kind of what you had applied to this. And you had said that in that podcast that, you know, this is one of the things that we have to address for osteoporosis. Um, But to kind of go over that, there were some key components that I think I wanted to just make sure that you touched on is that, um, you know, the, the big thing here is that is you have eat mostly two food groups, lean meat and fresh produce, and you want to eat in that three to one ratio. And that three to one ratio is mentioned in pretty much all of the documents that you would give to somebody that, um, is looking to change their diets to help with the osteoporosis. Can you just kind of explain the importance of that? Yes. Um, lean quality meats, there's so much to be gained from a lean quality meat as opposed to uh, a non-quality meat that might be high in sodium or high in saturated fats. So a quality meat might be a a meat that has um, grass-fed beef, let's say. If we take grass-fed beef, there are omegas, omega fatty acids that are in that, whereas if they're not necessarily in that for a corn-fed beef, okay? Mm-hmm. And those omega fatty acids will help with um, the, the uptake and function of vitamin D. Okay. And it will also be an anti-inflammatory. Uh, healthy fatty acids are one of the, the most needed elements in the American diet, okay? We can get fatty acids from a variety of sources, but... To find them in a meat source, like a, a good fish, 
yeah. right? Mm -hmm. Like a, a, a fresh salmon or something along those lines, wild salmon. That is where you're going to have very high, higher amounts of those uh, omegas. So it's not only the protein that your bone, your bones need protein actually to hold their density. So a certain amount of protein is necessary. Someone who's very, very active will need more. Someone who's not as active will not need as much. But that one to three ratio is uh, essentially providing a balance for your liver so okay. that you have yep. ultimate, uh, the, ultimately the, the best um, breakdown of your food and utilizing, utilization of your food with least stress on your body, okay? So um, anybody knows that if they eat something, if they eat a bunch of carnival food, well, they don't feel very good, <laughs> right? You're going to be puffy from the sodium. You're going to have um, maybe bloated tummy from the sugar or, you know, everybody has their little symptoms. When you eat like this, this three-to-one ratio with low sodium, low saturated fats, people feel really good. Okay. Yeah. And I think, like you said, you intuitively know when you eat something bad. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so some of the key, I guess, vitamins that you had uh, or minerals that, that kept coming up. So um, I think they were potassium, calcium, and vitamin D were the three big ones. And you have, um, you know, one of the worksheets that you handed me was a, a list of potassium or in your presentation was a list of potassium rich foods. Yeah. Um, why is potassium important? Um, and why should you're saying we should get more of it than we probably do in our normal diets? Yes. Yes, definitely. Um, uh, potassium is something that, um, muscles need to function. Mm -hmm. And if people go low on their potassium, they feel poorly. There's a sense of weakness. There's a, a loss of balance. Um, when people are low on potassium, things happen like, well, I, I wanted to call 911, but I couldn't get to the phone. Okay. Okay. That's the, it can be a desperate situation like that when potassium levels are low. It's dangerous. Uh, women, U.S. women, um, we are, I think, a third, if I remember the the. The, st the stats, uh, I think it's where about a third percent low okay. of what we should be. So 33% less okay. of, of what we should be doing and, and, or should be having. And those are all in green leafy vegetables, foods that are um, readily available to us. Sure. But they're not necessarily convenient, right? <laughs> you have to, it's not always convenient to find a salad to snack on. That's right. So... Um, but that's, um, but that's the basis of it. Uh, and that might be to the increased risk for osteoporosis. If, if, uh, women are walking around low on potassium and, and calcium potassium, is it mainly because of those minerals functions in the muscle synapse? Not just the muscle synapse, okay. but basically every membrane exchange. Okay potassium is involved. Gotcha. Every, every, every living cell you have, there is an exchange that goes between the membrane and sodium and potassium is what makes that up. Okay. So if potassium is low and sodium is high, uh, that's not healthy. That's not going to promote that membrane exchange that needs to occur. 
Gotcha. So, um, and then I guess cal. I mean, calcium's been for a while known that we need it. You know, they recommend that you drink milk, right? Or I don't know if they still do that, but I, I know some people are having more issues dietarily with with milk and dairy. But um, what's calcium's role? I guess calcium's role obviously is for bone development. Mm-hmm. We need to have calcium for bone development. We also need vitamin D for bone development. And that's why it's in milk too. Um, the doctors want people to have mo- more vitamin D or make sure that the kids are getting vitamin D. Essentially mm-hmm. in the old days, it was to prevent rickets. Okay. Okay. But let's go a step further, right? Vitamin D has, I think, 300 enzymatic reactions that it's responsible for. Mm-hmm. It, it has four different mechanisms of preventing cancer cell development. It's a huge player in our immunity. And to have calcium and vitamin D working together is something that's critical. Without, uh, without the calcium, you won't have good bone development. Okay. It just simply won't be there. Uh, your bones need that to build the matrix, essentially. So it's a building block. Okay. It's a building block, not just for, um, so the calcium, think of it, if you think of that as a building block, the potassium and the magnesium, which you haven't quite mentioned yet, but still above, oh yes, you did, buffer, um, those are players more in keeping pH level so that uh, vitamin D can do its business with the calcium. Okay. If you want to think of it as that. Yeah, I, yeah. Um, because you had also mentioned vitamin D is a big player in how you absorb calcium, correct? Yes, absolutely. Uh, and there are things that will prevent your, your absorption of calcium. Alcohol. Okay. One alcoholic beverage, you will not absorb the calcium for that day, essentially. You know, oh, wow. it's not going to happen. So the nutritional elements are so key with this vitamin D. You need to have the right elements, and the best pH is will be afforded to you following this three to one ratio, which then will allow vitamin D to be a bone builder. Okay. What people don't realize is that vitamin D is actually, it functions as a bone modifier. So if you eat carnival food, your vitamin D will say, oh my gosh, the pH isn't very good. I have to adjust that. I need buffer. I need calcium. I need potassium to get the pH right. Otherwise, this person won't live. So it steals the minerals. And it will steal the minerals from the bone, the inside of the bone. It will steal minerals from the joints and also from muscle. So this is when people start to feel poorly, like I'm slowing down or I don't do that as well or, or they just don't feel good that day. Yeah. They don't move well that day. Um, those are all things that I'm sure we have felt at certain times. Eating, eating those, that three-to-one ratio will allow vitamin D to function as a bone builder and taking the available elements and supporting the bones where they need support if they've had loss at any point. Yeah, so that, I mean, that kind of brings it together. You eat the three-to-one ratio, eat lots of leafy greens. Yes. You get the proper nutrients and you put, put it together with the... Um, with the exercise. And like you said, like that's not easy for everybody. It takes a disciplined person. But if you do those things, you can fight off any of those genetic factors that you were talking about. 
um, and give yourself at least a chance, right, against this. Absolutely. And, and people have seen changes uh, with their bone density following this. Um, I've seen a variety, several, many um, clinical um, changes happen for patients, for family, um, for people who are turning this around. The three to one ratio is also beneficial, not just for osteoporosis, but essentially any inflammatory condition. Okay. Okay, whether it's cardiovascular disease, whether it's arthritis, whether it's autoimmune. Okay, so you're not going to necessarily harm any of those situations if or conditions if you happen to have them. It will actually help. So good, not just for osteoporosis, but... Good in general. Good in general. All That's right. right. Good for children. Yeah. This is a great ending point. Great, great for children who are developing their bone density. Mm-hmm. So they stop, they stop developing and growing their bone density at about age 18 or 19. Okay. And if a child doesn't have the nutrition to achieve their highest potential for bone mass, they are more likely to develop osteoporosis later on. So osteoporosis essentially is a childhood disease that is manifested in adulthood, Okay, if that makes sense. It does. Um, so for people who are listening to this, if you have children in your lives, plan those meals. This is how to, it's, it's the it's a step-by-step program for how to help your children develop um, not just only their bones, but also with high omegas, mm-hmm. uh, cod liver oil supplements, um, vitamin D supplements. This improves their immunity. It improves their neurological development. All of this has been written and proven and studied for years now, so it's, it's very solid, uh, but it, it is worth the effort on every, on every front. All right. Well, thank you so much, Diane, for coming on again and talking with me. It was fun as always. And, uh, thank you very much. Thanks, Brady. This podcast is brought to you by Freedom Physical Therapy Services, providing exceptional one-to-one hands-on care to the greater Milwaukee area for over 25 years. Our physical and occupational therapists prepare custom plans for your condition to relieve pain and improve performance. Allow us to help you enjoy more freedom at freedompt.com.